This is Dart Adams, and you're listening to Dart Against Humanity, episode 23. This episode would have been recorded earlier, except I decided to not record it because I wasn't in the right state of mind. As many of you know, I've done a lot of work to disprove certain things and tell certain stories and reframe history including album release dates, uh, erroneous information that's been spread through the internet or what have you regarding like music history, rap history, a whole bunch of things. One of the things that I really was adamant on doing starting last year was trying to change this narrative about Redman's What the Album being released on September 22nd, 1992, which is the date that most people have it listed as, you know, being released, and they celebrate its anniversary. And I've actually been had to write articles about the album that were released on September 22nd, even though I'm pretty sure the album was released in October. So what I did last year was I decided to actually put together, you know, a bunch of information and, you know, build a case like it's a fucking forensic file explaining how it's possible that Redman's album did not come out September 22nd, 1992, but instead it was released on October 9th, 1992, because Columbia liked to release albums on Fridays occasionally. If you check the RIAIA uh, website, which I need to point out often has erroneous release dates on it. If you've been looking at it enough and you research enough as I do, you know which release dates are problematic. But it lists this release day as October 9th, 1992, which was also the Friday that Mortal Kombat was released in uh, North American arcades. I remember the day because I remember it was coming close to um, Halloween and in Boston when Halloween comes up, you know, people start, well, especially in the 90s. You know, there was a lot more gang activity. People start wilding out more and then people used to throw eggs. So I remember specifically when the album came out, I remember going to buy it, I remember the weeks afterwards, all of that. So anyway, what I did was I was on Instagram and on September 22nd, as you can imagine, everybody's celebrating the 26th anniversary of this album. And I'm like, they're still doing this because last year I laid it all out and one asshole on Instagram posts under uh, a DJ Premier post about what the album he sends a message to me on DJ Premier's Instagram page just to me like why are you thinking about me and it goes you lose mind you I see this shit at like somewhere around midnight one so I immediately because, you know, I don't have no damn sense. Um, I see red and I fly off the handle. And then I record 
a 12-minute long video detailing how. I mean, I detailed everything. How it's not likely that Redman's album came out on September 22nd, 1992. I go through release dates of other albums that came out September 22nd, which include um, Gorillas in the Mist by the Lynch Mob. Uh, the other albums are Diamond D and the Psychotic Neurotics. Best Kept Secret. And another album is, I believe, um, Runaway Slave by Showbiz and AG. These albums are all supposed to come out September 22nd. And when you go and you search for their chart entries, it gets tricky. Because, first off, when you ch- um, search for our chart entries, the thing to do, especially with rap albums, is to um, search the black charts. And the black charts, if you look them up, they says R&B hip-hop charts. But they were just called top black albums for the longest. And the list went to 75, but there were 25 bubbling under. But now they've combined the charts to make it read 100. So if you look online, they've added these. Because before, they just stopped it at 50. And I complained about it. And the next thing you know, they added it. So I guess somebody's paying attention. So when you go and you search... You'll see that the Lynch Mob album, which of course had was more high profile, had Ice Cube heading the group. Ice Cube had sold gold and platinum. Uh, so they were going to get more coverage. You know, more people were going to be interested. More people going to go out and buy that album. So it was guaranteed to enter the charts shortly after it was released. So once you put out your album, your album music comes out on a Tuesday. The charts, the Billboard magazine comes out on a Saturday. Okay? So you have three, four days or three sale days. Then the fourth day is when the charts come out. And if the charts come out on that fourth day, they can't count that day as a sale day. You'd think. So that means that one billboard chart one billboard magazine comes out another billboard magazine comes out when the third billboard magazine comes out after your album comes out that should be the entry date provided you sold enough copies to enter the top 100 on the black charts now the thing is that you sell far less albums on the black charts than you do the billboard top 200 okay the Billboard 200 is usually includes rock and pop albums. The black albums usually sell way less. Again, I explained this before. You could have an album that's number one, four, five on the black albums charts, but then you go and check that against uh, the uh, the Billboard 200, and that album's gonna be those albums are gonna be 17, 44, and 48. Again, because the sales numbers are different. And then sometimes the albums that are number one, two, and three on the black music charts, you go and look at the billboard charts and they're like one, four, and seven. So it's all relative. And 
you have to know the music back and forth and you have to have researched this shit over a bunch of years in order to know what I know. Which adds to the frustration. Alright, so further, so going forward. What I did was I broke down how Redman's album, which was released on um, Columbia Def Jam, uh, he was part of the hit squad, appeared on uh, a Debuted on an EPMD album that went gold. Was a high-profile artist. He was on Yom TV Raps, on um, Rap City. He had a hit single with Blow Your Mind. So, with the Def Jam uh, machine behind him, he was actually on RAL, but he's still a Def Jam artist. There was no way his album was going to come out and he was going to take weeks to enter the charts, especially the black charts, not the Billboard uh, 200, the black charts, which, again, is lower selling uh, sales scale. And this chart goes to 100, 75, then the 25 after that, the bubbling under. So Redman's definitely entering that chart on a de- with a Def Jam album as soon as possible. Okay, now conversely, the other albums that came out uh, that September 22nd, they were on indie labels. They would have sold far less. They didn't have the push of Def Jam. They would have taken a while to build up enough to enter the charts. So they wouldn't have entered the charts on the third billboard that's released after the album comes out. It's going to take months for those albums to finally enter the charts. Okay? That being said, I went back and I did this video and I showed that three billboards after September 22nd, bam, there you see it. Lynch Mob, Gorillas in the Mist, debuts. Which is the October 10th issue. However, Redman doesn't debut on the Billboard charts until the October 24th, 1992 issue. Now, if Redman's album came out October 9th, you have the October 10th Billboard issue, the October 17th Billboard issue, and the third Billboard after the album came out, which would have had 10 full release days of sales to report to tally before the Billboard comes out that Saturday. The October 24th billboard. Bam. Redman debuts at number, number um, 37. And when you scroll down and you look for the other album that would have been eligible on September 22nd, it's already been on the charts for three weeks at the time Redman's album just entered for the first time. So I figure, yeah, this is going to make everybody finally get it. I don't upload it. Because I'm like, let me calm down. Let me see how it looks. So, I come back to it the next day. I don't sleep. So, like when the sun comes up. So, I watch the video the next day. And I realize... It doesn't matter. People are going to believe what they want to believe. Uh, People are going to run with what they want to run with. In this day and age, facts don't really matter. 
It's only going to matter to certain people. I think that number of people that facts matter to, that people actually want to do the research, is negligible. Therefore, fuck it. It's like I learned from this um, famous Western called The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. When a legend becomes fact, you print the legend. So Red Man's album actually coming out October 9th, 1992 doesn't really matter. Because everybody's already writing with September 22nd, 1992. Fuck it, Dart. Let it go. So I deleted the video. And people were like, yo, why'd you delete the video if you're right? Well, here's the thing. I deal with the space of journalism all the time where facts don't matter anymore. Well, I obsess over these things, but most people don't care. They don't care to research. They don't care to read. They don't care to learn. They don't want to be proactive. They are very, people tend to be reactionary and be in shock when they don't know something. When I, You can go back and find this shit has been announced. Uh, there's been information on this leading up to it. And you're years late after the fact, just like the shit that happened with the Lauren Hill thing, where I'm like, um, did y'all know that Lauren got sued by people who wanted the credit for the album? <gasps> I didn't know this. I'm like, this has been public. This has been public knowledge for fucking t- like close to 20 years. Where have you been? So it's another one of those things, which I'm used to. I'm 43. I've lived through this several times over. So another thing that happened was, again, I'm sure you all know about Museum Gate and how everybody was up in arms when they discovered that Timothy Ann is the curator of the hip hop part of the Smithsonian Museum. Okay, so here's what's crazy. The Smithsonian Natural Museum of African-American History and Culture Uh, I believe it opened two years ago yesterday. Opened two years ago yesterday. It was announced, what, like 2013, 2014? And during the time they were building it, they kept giving us updates and showing pictures of what they were doing and who was working with what and who was curating what. And they're telling you on of everybody who's on the team, all the people that work there, like all the people that work in the museum staff and the curation staff and the people that came over from the Smithsonian who've been working with it for a long time. And Timothy Ann's been working with the Smithsonian since 2003. And she's been doing things for years and years and years and years. So... The museum's been open for two years, but they've been building it for longer. Okay? So, apparently somebody on Twitter, and I know it's going to sound like somebody, he has a name. I don't know his name. I've seen, I've seen his Twitter handle written several times, but this guy asked, the, well, he didn't ask the question. He just came out and said, Yo, how the fuck is it, pretty much, that's how it came off, how the fuck is it that, like, there's this white lady curating the hip-hop part of the museum? Or, more more, more to the point, people read it as a white woman was curating the hip-hop museum, or the hip-hop part of the museum. And people, of course, just went nuts. They just couldn't feel the idea of a white woman... And I, I totally get it. The idea of a white woman 
being in charge of curating the hip-hop part of a museum or to them the hip-hop museum they didn't seem to know the difference or didn't know how long the museum was open or what have you again just the idea of it made some people bristle some people actually knew who she was some people actually knew of the museum but didn't know the extent of it some people don't know anything about museum curation but just the idea sent them over the edge so you have all these little cross sections of people that fed into this thing and again when i see shit like this erupt i'm somebody who deals with facts information like knowledge, I need to know shit. And I need to know that the people who are having the discussion are actually people that are actually do actual work and actually care enough to find out what they're talking about. That's really not the case with Twitter a lot of times. Uh, people just want to get off these jokes. People just want to be mad. And you're entitled to be mad. I understand. Um, as somebody who works in the academic field, I've been denied opportunities for the simple fact that I don't have any fucking credentials. I don't have a degree. I have 98.6 degrees. Uh, I can walk into any of these museums. Uh, I can walk into any of these uh, colleges and universities or, school, or institutions of higher learning. And I can pretty much talk any of these motherfuckers out the classroom. I could take over their classroom. But I do not have... The necessary background or resume or experience to be somebody where if they opened up a, a, a position and said, we're going to interview people, I'm not going to be on that list of people to interview. And if I did get an interview, it would be a pity interview and it would just be like a formality. Because I'm not getting the job that way. I'm just not. I pretty much have to celebrity my way in. Or shame. People have to shame the institution. You have Dart Adams in your backyard. And you motherfuckers do not have him doing anything at this university. Like how is that possible? I pretty much would have to have like a bunch of famous people. Or people in, this, in, in that particular space. Sign a petition. To be like, hey, give him a shot. It would have to be like fucking Rudy. You need to put Rudy in the game. That's how it would have to be. And I, I've been experiencing that my whole time, um, you know, being in this space in the academic side. And I'm well aware of how many people work in curation or museum studies or these uh, or the antiquities especially within like uh this the the black historian um african american culture space or do work in the diaspora whether it's as an archivist researcher genealogist all these spaces i know people in all these different fields and i have for a long time so when people started jumping on the timeline, again, I'm staying out of this because I need to make sure that whoever's talking or whoever's ha having these discussions or who's ever going back and forth actually knows what the fuck they're talking about. And I'm looking and I'm following it and I'm like 15 to 20 percent of these people even have a fucking grasp of the actual issues 
and are not flying off the handle and stuck on one thing and have tunnel vision. Like they're not seeing this whole thing all the way through. So I'm not as mad because I already did the research. I already looked and I was like, Timothy, who? And I already did found out. I went back, found out what she did, who she worked with, the different um things that she did, the people that she brought in, the people she works with, who her colleagues are. I did the fucking research because that's what I do as a journalist. Everybody's in a journalist. Everybody doesn't care enough to find that stuff out. I understand that. People just want to be mad. And again, I get why. But. I'm not them. So what happens is a bunch of people jump on the timeline and they start saying things like, um, you know, who could who should have been uh, curating the hip hop museum. It's not a hip hop museum. It's the National African-American Museum History and Culture, which was the Smithsonian Museum. And they brought my name up. A lot of people brought my name Like a lot of people brought my name up And I'm like At first, the first time I saw it I was just like, eh, I shrugged it off After the 10th time I saw it I'm like, what? Then I just started getting mad Because I totally understand And know what it takes To become someone who is a museum curator who gets that kind of job, who gets that kind of position, who knows the kind of <sighs> the class load, you know, coming out of school or uh, the position that you have to get in order to be in position to even get hired at an entry level to this position. And then the work you have to do to move up. Before you actually get to become a curator in any way, shape, or form. How many years of work, non-stop work, that you have to have under your belt. The things you have to do in order to be able to do that. I don't have any of those qualifications. None. And on top of that, I never asked to do that job. I never wanted that a position like that. And why are people so I'm getting annoyed that people like, do you motherfuckers know what that what that entails? Why are you putting me in a position for a job I don't want in Washington, D.C. when I don't want to leave Boston? Like there's so much stuff going through my head that like I'm getting mad. And I shouldn't be mad because there are people because the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people that think highly of me enough to think that. I actually would, you know, do well at this. But the fact of the matter is you're discounting everything else in the real world. So that's where. And then the other part is that a lot of people are mad and they're projecting and they want me to feel how they feel, exactly how they feel. So and then this is another thing that happens to me a lot on Twitter. People feel the type of way about something or they have their view on something And then they ask me for my opinion, but they don't give a fuck about my opinion. What they want me to do is validate how they feel. And I don't like being put in that situation because I know why you're doing that. Hey, Dart, what are your thoughts on that? In other words, validate my thoughts. 
My thoughts are my thoughts. If I wanted to give my thoughts, I would have given my thoughts. I'm keeping my thoughts to myself because I'm thinking about something else. Which sounds asshole-ish, but it's true. If it was something that I felt enough about that I wanted to comment on, I would have commented on it. I'm not holding back for the people on the timeline. I say whatever the fuck I want about whatever the fuck I want, regardless of what the people on the timeline feel like I should, if, if I should be um, offering it up. If I don't want to offer it up, because I don't want to offer it up. It's the same reason I don't tell people to comment or, or, or rate my podcast or tell people to do certain things, because I believe in free will. You will do what you want to do. And if I tell you to do it and you don't do it, I get, I get mad because how come people aren't doing this to support me? No. I'm not that kind of person. I do what the fuck I want to do. You do what the fuck you want to do. If for some reason you like this podcast and you keep listening, I love it. If for some reason you say, ah, this ain't my, this ain't my thing, I understand that totally. So I extend that same thing to everyone else. But a lot of times people don't want to do it to me. They, they want to project I'm mad that this is going this way and I need for Dart to validate it. No, I don't feel the way you do. I see things completely differently because I'm in a completely different space than you are. I'm a completely different position than you are. And I've been in this space where you haven't. So I've dealt with this on a different level. But the issue that there are not enough uh, enough things being done to bring in people into the museum space that are black or Latino who would add so much to the space and so much to the field and give it a f- and inject it with a fresh, uh, fresh breath of air, but they don't get the opportunity because they don't have these accolades they don't have this background they don't have this particular set of experiences or experience in this field because they were never offered an opportunity that needs to change that absolutely needs to change so I understand why and then there were a bunch of people that were mad because it seemed like There were blue check Twitter was coming out to defend Timothy. When I saw it as there are a bunch of people that have been working with this woman for 10 plus years. And have known she's been working with the Smithsonian for years and known that she helped. She was one of many people, brown people, a lot of them women that worked with the Smithsonian and this museum to build the museum and work there now and have worked there now. And have worked there for the two years that it's been open and worked exhaustively to get it open and build it and brought in certain people to work there. So they knew all this. The general public doesn't know shit. I'll repeat it. The general public doesn't know shit. I promise y'all, if y'all go back and y'all search about this museum And this was being built. You will find update after update after update after website. 
talking about the museum as it's being built up. Uh, it's going to open in 2016. This is what you can expect. These are the people that are going to come in. These are the things that they're doing. This is what we hope to have happen. Go back as far as we're going to build this museum. We're going to have it here. It's going to have this. These are the people that are working on this. You're going to see so many names, so many faces. And one one name out of the many of people that curate and build and oversee this this wonderful structure, this wonderful museum, is Timothy Ann. One. She's also one of the youngest. So what does she do? She curates hip hop. Just that idea alone makes people fly off the handle. Is she good at her job? I can't ask that question because if I ask that question to certain people, they are automatically going to attack me because I'm all of a sudden uh, caping for a white lady. To me, I don't see it that way. Do I think she's the best person for the job? She's the person that has the job. Are there people that are probably better or do as good a job who are brown? Yes, probably yes. Um. At the Harvard Archive, there are two black women who work at that archive, all right, who oversee it. And then there's a third that's in charge over them. I'm in Harvard's backyard, used to go to the school. I haven't been brought in to do shit. Shit. And I've been friends with about five Harvard fellows. And they've brought and they've invited me to stuff. I go to the museum, people, hey, what's up? Shake my hand, whatever. I haven't been asked to do a goddamn thing. But I understand why. Because there's politics involved and all this other stuff. I get so I get it. I'm not happy about it. I'd more than love to be, you know, somebody that's an adjunct professor or brought in to do something regular there and get that kind of check at Harvard or MIT or Emerson or Berkeley College of Music. All these schools I know people at and they know of me. I don't work at any of them. I don't have a position at any of them. Why? Because of the reasons I've already mentioned before. Is it frustrating? Extremely. But I still don't think I'm anywhere near qualified to curate at a museum. I'd more be more than happy to be somebody that comes in there and, and collaborates with the museum. Or does a speaking engagement or does panels. I'd love to do that, but I am not fucking qualified to be at the museum just because I'm brown and I know a lot about hip hop and music culture and music history and history in general. So that's just shit that drives me insane up a wall. And that was just something that like really bothered me. So 
the discussion that people have been having online with it, you know, people have, it's gotten better and a lot of things have been somewhat resolved, but for the most part, there's people still mad and they're talking about how they don't want to visit the museum now because of one thing like that. And I'm like, what the fuck? Come on, y'all. So it is what it is, man. It's just disappointing. So what I'm actually doing right now is I've written several pieces that are going to go up in the next five to 10 days, I'm guessing. And I'm writing another one right now, which I'm not, which I'm not getting paid for. I can afford to do this piece because I'm getting paid for the several other pieces that I'm doing. And I just want to get this one out there. So I've been working nonstop. That's like if you look at my Instagram, the only thing I've ever po- I've posted recently is fucking like Red Sox stuff because I'll be writing, 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 watching the Red Sox game, writing, 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 writing. I've done nothing but write pretty much this entire month because I like to actually, you know, have money and eat. And I don't have a job job. So this is how I generate income. So. Yeah. Also, if you haven't noticed, the reason why the podcast has been so far between each other has to do with the fact that I'm usually working and I'm writing and I'm doing the podcast on a break from writing. Like right now, I'm I'm pretty much at the uh, latter stages of this piece that I'm writing. So I took a break to do the podcast. But yeah, um, the piece that I'm writing right now, I could tell you about it because I'm not getting paid for it. I'm doing um, part two of a piece that I did last, I started last year, um, that was about 1997. So this specific piece is Independent as Fuck 2, 25 Essential Underground Hip Hop Releases from 1998. The last one was Independent as Fuck 20 Essential Underground Hip Hop Releases from 1997. Uh, there are 25 Essential Underground Releases because just like in any transition period, like in 1986, I tell people all the time, it was the first year where you could have a top 10 rap albums of the year and argue about it. But 1987 was the first year you could have a top 20 rap albums of the year. But 1988 was the year you could have a top 20 a top 25 rap albums of the year and argue about it. There's always a progression because more and more albums come out, more and more artists come up. There's more progression. Uh, the field gets bigger. So that's why it goes from 20 to 25, from 1997 to 1998. And I've been doing this piece. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to finish it. Today's Tuesday. I'm pretty sure I'm going to finish it by either on Wednesday the 26th or by Wednesday the 26th. Like It could be up like the wee hours of Wednesday morning. Because again, I don't sleep. And the other two pieces I'm not going to talk about because I want them to come out when they come out and I want to get paid for them. Yeah, that's how I work over here. You have to value or you have to um, prioritize the work you get paid for. Just do. Because back in, there were several years where I wrote a lot, just did a lot of work. People were just loving the shit I did, but I was fuck. My ribs were touching. I was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I can't. I can't do that anymore. I can't afford to live like that anymore. 
when I saw my mom die and deteriorate before my eyes and one of the things she was asking my brothers and sisters was am I going to be okay I was like yeah um there's no way my mom is passing away from cervical cancer and it's spreading throughout her body and the thing that she's wondering about while she's passing away is am I going to be okay I'm a fucking grown-ass man so I was like I have to prioritize um paid work and I can't take any more bullshit. I can't entertain any more bullshit. I've had a lot of I've had a lot of things where I've done things for people and I've had to track them down to get paid to the point where I'm just like, yo, if you don't pay me up front for and I work fast. So if you don't pay me up front for this, don't even fucking bother with it. And then there's some cases where it's just like I just I'll do something for somebody just to do it for them because I think it needs to be done. But also I'd been paid by other people at the same time. So it, it it's a wave. If I'm if I have a really good position, a really good job, really good income, and you catch me at the right time, I might just do something because I feel like I need to do it and I could bang it out and I have steady income coming in and I don't have to worry about chasing down checks or chasing chasing down income. There's nothing I hate more than that. I would love to have something Steady, I can rely on. But being a freelancer in this day and age, that shit don't exist, bruh. It doesn't. It's like fucking Animal Crossing. You have to fucking create your own crops, then tend to your own crops, raise your own crops, sell the crops. You got to do all this shit yourself. And there's nothing I hate more than the idea of branding and being a brand and stuff like that. But I understand what people mean by it because you have to set yourself out to the point where you have to be in demand. Like people want you to do it like they want you. I could get the generic peanut butter. Motherfucker, I want Jif. There's something Jif has that the other peanut butter don't have. Like There's an aftertaste with the generic peanut butter. You know what I'm saying? No, for real, there's sometimes there's an aftertaste with generic peanut butter. I, I, I speak from experience. The shit was 109, you know what I'm saying? But you, you don't want to spend the 349 because you know that 240, that's the stage in your pocket, you know, that shit adds up. But I am currently happy that the Red Sox have secured home field advantage for the entire postseason. But here's the problem. As you well know, the Boston Red Sox have issues. They have two major issues. One issue is that they don't bunt. So there's going to be a situation in the postseason. I've seen it happen again. They lost two games to the um, Cleveland Indians, mostly because they were playing away from home and they're trying to save people and you could just give up the game if you already if you already won the division and you already got 100 games won. You can cough up this game because, you know, you go back to you go back home and you're going to be playing the Baltimore Orioles for three games before you play the Yankees at home for three games. And you might have an advent. You'll have an advantageous situation against the um, Orioles, and you should have an advantageous advantageous situation 
against the Yankees simply because the Yankees were going to have to go into a wild card playoff and they might have to play all out against the Red Sox when they don't want to and they want to uh they want to um rest people because they have to get home field advantage for the wild card game at the same time the A's are going to be playing and the Red Sox could have an opportunity to fuck that up for them and plus they're at home so you get the last that bet and if you're holding people out and you get the last that bet you can always um pitch hit your heavy guys you can pinch hit a Mookie you can pinch hit a um Put in JD to pinch hit. Brock Holt might already be playing, so I think that like they might uh have like Rafael Devers rest. I think they might rest X, so all those guys can like pinch hit. Maybe like um a Mitch Moreland could could like pinch hit. Like that's insane to have those guys if you want to put a game away at the end and put them in just to have the Yankees lose in like the bottom half of the ninth. The other thing that happened is, um, and I'm glad that they like secured the AL East and everything else in New York. I didn't want to do a podcast waiting for that to happen. That was fucking painful, and I'm glad it happened on the third game. But I really wanted to win more than one in um, more than one game in New York. But you can win more than one in Boston and really fuck up everything for them. Uh, moreover, yesterday was media day for the Boston Celtics, which was huge. And training camp, I think, starts today, or it started already. It's almost noon. And, like, we're really excited about the Celtics and what's going to happen with this season. Kyrie Irving staying in Boston. Uh, Screaming A. Smith will make a return. And also, you're going to end up hearing my, um, at some point, you're going to end up hearing my, uh, my voice. Skip! You know, you're going to hear that voice. You already heard Screaming A. So that's going to happen. I just, it cracks me up that people really think that the Boston Celtics are going to win like 58 or 60 games. Like that's going to be the cap when they won however many games they won missing Kyrie with no Gordon Hayward. And you're going to have. Jalen Brown improved another year. You're going to have a second year version of Jason Tatum. You're going to have Terry Rozier, Puma Terry Rozier. You're going to have an improved Marcus Smart. You know, you're going to have a, a bench guy and Robert Williams who fell into our lap. A lot of people think he's going to be more of a project. Um, I think he's going to develop pretty quick, and I think that the things that he does, even as as being raw, can help the Celtics out because he's not a player that needs the ball. He can just catch lobs, rebound, block, and just do things, and run the court and just catch you know catch the alley oop, get a put back. You know he can do those type of things. We're not asking a lot of them, and I think the big thing that people don't understand is that Daniel Thice. Would have been huge in the playoffs last year. He's coming back. Um, we got an improved uh, Gershon Yabusele or Yabu. He's a year improved. Semi Ojale has been working on his game tremendously. 
So you get an improvement from those guys, and you just have Mook be the same Mook as he was last year. That's a scary lineup. And also, I think we upgraded with uh, some of the people that we had doing backup, the the backup guys that we had. Um, Shane Larkin did as much as he could do. I think the guy that we got to replace Shane Larkin is better than Shane Larkin. He's bigger than Shane Larkin, which is super important. Shane Larkin getting injured in the playoffs sucked because it, it knocked us down another position player than we didn't already have Thice. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to this year. I don't really give a fuck about what the Patriots are doing. I just don't care. Not only is the NFL really falling off the radar for me, but I don't concern myself with what the, with the Patriots do early anyway. Like, if the game is on, it's just on, and it's in the background, and I'm doing something else. I'm not on the edge of my seat, uh, totally, 100% invested in what the Patriots are doing. I, I'm just not. I'm an adult. I mean, that's, 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 not, that's not really what I mean. It's just that... The run's been going on for, if not 20 years, almost 20 years. And I've seen so many different incarnations of this team that struggle early and whatever. So I don't even care to, I don't even bother. I don't even wonder. I don't don't worry. And on top of that, I'm just, if they were to win the World Series, uh, I mean, if the Red Sox won the World Series, I'd be all, I'd be over the moon. If the Celtics won the NBA championship, I'd, I'd, I'd go nuts. If they did somehow win a Super Bowl, I'd, eh, I'd be like, eh. I the last time they won a the Super Bowl, I was in, I was at the, uh, which is recently, I went to the, uh, the parade. I left the parade after 15 minutes and came home. I was just over it. So when they lost the when they lost the world of uh, the Super Bowl last year, I was like, eh, good. The Eagles played better. But there's one thing that I really need, like, I would love to have happen. I would love to have, like, Desus and Merrill actually find actual Bostonians to to go back and forth with sports with. Because the guy to do, do it with is not Bill Simmons. Bill Simmons is not regarded as, as the Boston guy by Boston people, by Bostonians. He just isn't. When something happens in Boston and we want a sports take, the last guy that's on our radar is Bill Simmons. When Bill Simmons was talking about the Celtics last year, we were like, shut the fuck up, Bill. Be quiet, Bill. Shut up, Bill. But every but people in New York seem to think that like he's the guy, the official guy. We don't give a fuck about him. At all. So when I'm going back and forth with Miro during Yankees Red Sox games it bothers me well it's hilarious to me because they don't realize that it's like being a kid a like a high school senior that picks on like goes and posts up a junior high school kid like they can always get over on Bill Simmons and crack on him because their idea of Boston is really white I'm Boston I'm the motherfucker you need to be going back and forth with. I'm the motherfucker that could take you down. You know what I'm saying? I'm the dude that could like snap on you and tell you shit you don't know. And correct you when you say some wrong shit. He can't. Bill Simmons can't. Like if you were if you were a black and Latino dude 
from the Bronx in New York, wouldn't you get somebody that kind of matched up with who you are from Boston to talk Boston sports with or banter about sports with? Why would you pick the guy who makes no sense? You wouldn't look for your own counterparts. And again, we already know about how I feel about the representation of Boston and how it's overly white and only in Boston, the Twitter account and, you know, just all that shit. And I'm like, no, that's not it. So, again... This has just been me trying to keep it together while I'm writing and creating over a span of a week. And it's really, it sucks that so much of what happens with me happens to do with like social media and stuff like that. Because for the most part, I try to stay like I'm trying to stay away from it more and more and just focus on like my writing. But the funny thing is that that's the thing that I use to actually spread my writing. So it's a double edged sword. Like I don't invest as much in it or in it the same way that most people do. There are people that use social media as a means to clout chase. And I don't put enough effort in that. I, I wish I put enough, I put more effort in it because it seems like people actually do shit to get opportunities from it. I just, when you're authentically you, it can backfire and not even in ways of being like problematic. It can just backfire in ways where it's just like you're not marketable and whatever whatever that means and you're going to fuck up the money or you're not getting the bag or securing the bag whatever I don't I'd like to but I'm in immortal in immortal words of Angela Means I ain't putting no effort forth like I don't do it I don't put forth the enough effort to do it like if I can't get it what doing what I'm doing then fuck it Fuck it. But yeah. That's pretty much all I have, man. I'm sick of talking. I'm so fucking sick of talking. <laughs>